You are listening to Maghreb and Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode was recorded on June 12th, 2021 at the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies. In this podcast, we welcome Dr. Peter Foulet. Peter Foulet is a professor in the School of Forestry at Northern Arizona University. His research is at the intersection of forests, wildfire, climate, and people around the world. Pete works with students and colleagues using multiple research techniques, including tree rings to assess tree growth and forest fires over many centuries. Using models of forest growth and climate, they test forest restoration treatments and simulate changes into the future. Pete has taught and done research on five continents. Currently, Pete is a visiting Fulbright scholar in Tetouan, Morocco, working with Abdelmalik Asadi University and Talasimtan National Park. Welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating subject, um, very rich, I'm sure. And I'm going to ask you a few questions about some of the research you're doing, starting with if you could tell me a little bit about the values and threats to Morocco's forests. Sure, I would be happy to. Um, Morocco is not a place that necessarily many people outside of the country associate with forests. That's something that it has in common with Arizona, where I come from, <laughs> which is famous mm. for being a desert with giant cactus rather than being a place that has a lot of forests. But both of them do have very important, unique forests. Um, in the case of Morocco and really all of North Africa, um, the forests tend to be distributed in the high mountains, although there are also plantations that you can find all the way down to sea level, usually of species like uh, some pines or eucalyptus that are useful in many cases for producing wood fiber and so on. But the native forests are often high in the mountains mm. and they conserve unique species, sometimes species or varieties that are native only to North Africa or only to Morocco. Um, we use the word endemic species for those that are only found in a very small place in the world. And that means that those places are very important to try to protect because if something happens in there and that species is lost from that spot, it may be lost entirely. And we are, uh, when you think of species in a forest, you think of trees naturally like cedars or firs or pines. These are some of the important species in Northern Morocco, but those trees provide habitat for other plants and for animals like the Barbary macaque, the um, mm. native monkey species of Northern Morocco that uh, depends on those forest habitats for its life. Interesting, yeah. What are some of the, can you name a few species? Um, some of the species that are important in, in Talasimtan National Park are the um, abies or fur species, abies maracana. Okay. Um, there's a Pinus nigra species that is a variety native only to Morocco. And there's cedar, cedrus, mm -hmm. which has trees that live for many hundreds of years and have tree rings that have been used to reconstruct climate going way back in time. Mm, fascinating. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about where you're working? Where are you located? In sure. Morocco? So the project that I'm doing in conjunction with, as you mentioned in the introduction, with the uh, university and with forest managers, 
is in Talisantan National Park. And this is a beautiful national park in northern Morocco. It's in the mountains right outside of Chef Chalon. So many listeners who have visited or are familiar with Chef Chalon, uh, as you look at the city, it's at, at the base of a mountain. It's um, spread across the, the foothills of a mountain. Mm. Well, you're looking at Talisantan National Park in the background. Another place that many people may be familiar with is the area around Akshur and the waterfall there that a number of people go and visit. Beautiful areas of mountains and canyons. Mm. This is part of one of the highest areas of the Reef Mountains in northern Morocco, and it's due to that high elevation of the mountain and the proximity to the sea, very close to the Mediterranean, that causes there to be more moisture as you go up in elevation both because it gets cooler and wetter as you go up and we're close to the sea. So there are often um, weather systems that are, that are trapping moisture up high. And that allows for these forests of pine and fir and cedar and juniper to grow at high elevation. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, it's a lovely area. I've been up there myself. Could you maybe talk a little bit about specific projects that you're working on through Fulbright Morocco? Sure. So our project focuses on the role of fire and climate, warming climate, in trying to think about the long-term goal of a place like a national park, which is to try to conserve as best as possible these unique factors of plants and animals, soils, ecosystems, and of course their importance for people, both the people that visit recreationally to enjoy these areas and the people who live in the region or who depend on these watersheds for the sources of rivers, for agricultural production, and so on. So all these things are intertwined. They can't really be separated. One of the major concerns about forest conservation is to try to manage fires appropriately because mm. fire is a natural part of ecosystems. It is not the case that all fires are always bad. That's mm. not the case at all. But in some cases, fires can become very severe and they can overwhelm the natural restorative capabilities of ecosystems. The ability of trees, for instance, to resist heat. Um, connected to this is warming climate because as climate warms, places become drier. Um, there's more evaporation, more loss of water. When you have dry conditions, that tends to foster very severe fire behavior as well. Mm. So our, our goal here is to try to understand the role of fire and communicate that information to managers in a way that's useful to them as they develop strategies for conserving and managing forested lands. Mm -hmm. We're looking at the role of fire in two ways, really. One is at the very largest landscape scale. So we're using mm -hmm. satellite imagery to detect fires over the past two decades and make comparisons of the places and severities of these fires on the landscape. And we have that component of the project is led by a graduate student at Northern Arizona University who just presented and defended her master's thesis on this yeah. topic. Wonderful. And what she found is that uh, over the past 20 years, through satellite detection, we find that about one third of the area of forest that has been 
altered that has been changed from a forested condition to a non-forested condition is due to severe fires. There's there's kind of a, a couple of take-home messages from this. One is that that was a positive message is that she found that the amount of deforestation in that 20-year period is still relatively low. It's always a concern. Um, there's always going to be some level of forest loss because of fires or diseases or an area of um, harvest or change in land utilization, but you would ideally want that to be balanced by forest recovery, right? You don't want it to be all loss and no recovery. Mm -hmm. There is a tendency towards loss, but it is not too great of a scale just yet. So that's good news. Of the loss that has occurred, about one third of it is due to severe burning. That kind of information can help managers try to balance their messages, try to balance their investment in fire control through mm -hmm. fire crews, people that try to put fires out in the forest, their message to the public about igniting fires and so forth, mm -hmm. and also their recognition that even if all fires, all severe fires were controlled, there would still there are still other factors contributing to forest loss because the other two thirds was due to other causes. Mm -hmm. So the student study, her name is Ileana Castro, is giving us this kind of big picture view. Mm -hmm. And then the work that I'm doing right now during my stay here in northern Morocco is detailed field work where we go and measure individual spots in the forest. We measure the trees, see what species they are, how big they are. We take samples of tree rings using a, a very small sample, the increment borer that penetrates the tree and takes out a wood sample that goes to the center. And we can see all the tree rings and determine how old the tree is, how fast it's growing, how it responds to droughts or other events in the forest, such as forest fires or the changes around it. So for instance, some trees can grow for a long time as a young tree without getting very big. They just hang out close to the ground. But then if a bigger tree around them dies for whatever reason, they have mm. the ability to take off and start growing very quickly and become a big tree themselves. So this is a one strategy mm. that trees use to maintain the forest over time. That is fascinating. I mean, there's so much information in those tree rings. That is... There's an incredible amount of information. <laughs> yes. Fascinating. I wouldn't have guessed. Um, could you talk a little bit about... So you're here from North America. Could you talk a little bit about the similarities and differences in the forests um, and their human and social contexts between North America and Morocco? Absolutely. Um, that is a very interesting question. It's one of the great opportunities, one of the great joys or rewards of having the ability to go make comparisons in different places that we get to see what is the same or what is similar and what is different between these places. So much of Western North America, certainly the Southwestern part of it, um, of the Southwest of the United States, Northern part of Mexico, is a region of substantially arid conditions, quite dry conditions. But at, because conditions get cooler and wetter as you go up in the mountains, the mountains have forested areas. Mm -hmm. So you have these sort of islands of forests in a sea of relatively dry grasslands or even deserts below them. And that's similar in North Africa as well. We have these sky islands like Talasimtan of a mm. cool, wet forest surrounded by much drier landscapes. Those kinds of places tend to burn relatively frequently because most years 
in the summertime, there's going to be periods that are warm and dry, often with strong winds. So when fires get started, whether by humans or in some cases by lightning, whether fires are started intentionally or not, they can spread. And so the ecosystems are very well adapted to those kinds of fire patterns. There's a, a term that we use, we call the, the pattern of fire over time, we call it a fire regime. Um, and the, the regime idea, um, it's not intended to suggest a dictatorship or something like that. It's, um, it's just trying to say, what's the pattern? You know, do fires occur every few years or maybe once every two or 300 years? Do they tend to be fires on the surface or fires that burn the canopies and kill the trees and replace the whole forest at once? In these kind of drier locations, like southwestern North America, like parts of Asia, parts of North Africa, the Mediterranean side of Europe, you often have the condition where species are adapted to frequent fires. And we can see that um, in some of the species here in northern Morocco as well, the pine species like Pinus pinaster or maritime pine, the species Pinus nigra or black pine. These species have very, very thick bark. Mm. The mature trees can take a lot of heat around the base of the tree. A fire can pass by and leave the tree unscathed, or it might leave behind a scar, but not kill the tree. So they have a, a lot of capability to resist fire. Mm -hmm. And we see that in North America as well, and in Southern Europe. In North America, in the United States and Canada in particular, governments have tried to control fires. So they invested in having very big fire crews, having right. airplanes that drop water on the fires and things like that. It was successful for a long time. It kept fires out. But in the absence of those surface fires, the fuel started to build up. Instead of being burned away every few years, you just had an accumulation of dead material and young trees in the forest. Now, as climate is warmer and the fuels are very high, we often have these severe fires that I think people all around the world see in the news from North America sure. because of the extensive destruction of those fires. Hmm. In Southern Europe, some changes in land use have also affected fire regimes in places like Spain, France, Corsica, Greece, where in the past, uh, especially before the Second World War, before the industrialization of many cities and the opportunity for people to leave the, the rural landscape, People who lived in rural areas used the land pretty intensively. They had sheep and other livestock. They had farming plots and so on. So even though the Mediterranean vegetation is inherently very flammable, those fires couldn't spread too much because all that vegetation was being used. After the Second World War, um, many people moved away from more marginal agricultural lands in the mountains. They moved to the cities. Those lands were abandoned, the native vegetation grew back up and supports a lot of severe fires now. Mm -hmm. So we see big fires in Mediterranean Europe in recent years. Sure. A colleague here in Morocco recently published a comparison of fires in Spain and fires in Northern Morocco and found that here in Morocco, the fires were less severe in recent decades because Morocco continues to have a strong tradition of rural activity that is 
using those plants to feed animals instead of having them accumulate to support fires. Mm. So you, you can see that you, you have these similarities, but then the stories diverge depending on what's happening mm. in different countries or continents. And so the kind of um, connection between the climate and the natural environment and the human environment just makes for very interesting and complex stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes less is more, it sounds like. They were trying so hard to manage it and, uh, yeah. Trying hard to keep fires out in Western North America has proven to be a very costly mistake. <laughs> interesting, fascinating. Could you talk a little bit about um, how it's been working with uh, the local university and with the forestry and water department? It has been a terrific experience working with hosts and colleagues here in Morocco. Um, another great benefit of international work is allowing us to have these interactions. Mm -hmm. So colleagues at Abdelmelek Asadi University in Tetuan in the, the Faculty of Sciences have been wonderful in helping design the research, helping implement it, um, making connections to allow for field work mm. and um, supporting the analysis of samples and data that we have from this project. And then our colleagues in the Water and Forest Protection Department and also of Talisimtan National Park itself and the director of Talisimtan have been terrific in enabling us to carry out field work, um, working with us in the field and showing an interest in applying this information in management, mm -hmm. which is terrific. So I'm very happy to have had those opportunities. And one of the things that, that I've been trying to do is also to provide information back to the university through a workshop on tree ring analysis and talking with graduate students at the university as well about some of these kinds of research techniques, as well as opportunities for students and professors in Morocco to take advantage of the Fulbright program in its reciprocal form and go to the United mm. States. We held a information session with Fulbright Morocco mm -hmm. from uh, headquartered in Rabat and they provided information on the program. There were over 60 students and professors from the university who signed up to attend that session. Wow, it sounds like a very fruitful collaboration and really what Fulbright is all about, isn't it? I agree, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, well, um, I don't think I have any further questions. Thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciate it, it was kind of spur of the moment and uh, so I appreciate your reactivity and uh, it's lovely to have you here. And yeah, I hope that um, you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and uh, look forward to many more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themaghribpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean.